And now, broadcasting on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and as always, happy to be here. The year 2017 was rife with so many climate calamities wrecking havoc on entire swaths of our country. From entire counties ravaged by wildfires in California, to entire cities engulfed by floods in Texas, and entire islands leveled by hurricanes in the Caribbean. Millions of people have been displaced from their homes. And for those of us who haven't been at ground zero for these calamities, it's hard to imagine how the hardest hit communities can ever recover or worse, survive the next inevitable disaster. It's hard to fathom, but this is just the beginning. By all scientific accounts, climate change has created a new normal. Storms of the century are happening more and more frequently and with greater strength and ferocity than ever before. What is mind-bending is that despite the evidence of climate threats at hand, we appear to have a problem of denial in Washington. The forces at work preventing the policy change needed to reverse the human causes of climate change seem to be more powerful than the evidence that should be guiding dramatic action. Unfortunately, the apathy in Congress is unlikely to change until a climate event submerges the entire city of Washington, D.C. underwater. While lawmakers continue to deny the reality of climate change, they still have to answer pressing questions. How many more disasters will it take to convince congressional leaders that decisive action is urgently needed? Or how are we, the American taxpayers, going to cover the cost of recovery as more and more of these events keep happening? And what are they going to do to keep their constituents prepared for the next disasters? The bigger question is, what can people living in danger zones do to protect themselves if the government won't act? Fortunately, there are some solutions that could solve a number of perplexing problems we face, and in the last year, the solutions have become more and more viable. That's something that our guests are here to discuss, so let's get started. First, I am happy to introduce you to Greg Flaval. He was born and raised in New Zealand before his family immigrated to Vancouver, Canada, where he pursued a career in building, learning all facets of construction. He eventually moved to California, where he built and remodeled homes as a co-owner of a general contracting company. He began walking the hemp path after reading a friend's doctoral thesis called Hemp, the Miracle Plant of the Future. His current company, Hemp Technologies, was formed when he joined forces with a longtime friend, David Madeira, to design and build the first hemp homes ever permitted in America. Their success landed them contracts to design and build the first hemp house sponsored by the Canadian government and help establish alternative building methods in multiple countries using hemp and lime and other sustainable materials. Since then, Greg has been called upon to educate others about the virtues of hemp and train builders to work with hempcrete and other sustainable building methods that he's developed over time. Greg, I am so glad that you were able to join us today. Thank you. Well, thank you, Snowden. Thank you for having me on the show. 
Oh, you're certainly welcome. And next, we have a returning guest. Diana Oliver is an accomplished filmmaker with an expansive repertoire of film and television projects to her credit. Considered a maverick within the hemp movement, she has parlayed her gift of storytelling to advocate for cannabis with a vision toward restoring balance to Mother Earth. As owner of Thunderbird Productions, she was among the first to bring more hemp awareness into public eye with her groundbreaking documentary called Hempsters Plant the Seed. That was starring Woody Harrelson, Willie Nelson, and other legendary musicians and Hollywood A-listers who share her passion for hemp. The film garnered a faithful following and media acclaim for being one of the first of its kind films to expose the absurdity of hemp prohibition and the tremendous environmental and economic upside of revitalizing a hemp industry here in the U.S. Since then, she's turned the Hempsters documentary brand into a recognizable franchise with a number of follow-up films. And in the last year, she's produced and directed several more and continues to hold the mantle for education about hemp with several more episodes, including one that focuses primarily on hemp building with Greg Flaval. So, Diana, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> What in the intro? Who is that lady you're talking about? Uh huh. I know who it is, and it would be you. So thanks for joining Thank me. I'm so you. glad you could come back. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear. Well, you know what, Greg? I want to jump right into hemp building because, like I was saying in the beginning, there is an opportunity here that if we all play our cards right, I think that as people begin to rebuild from these disasters that they've endured, Hemp building, hempcrete and lime might provide a really good alternative to avoid the damage caused by fires and floods. Tell me a little bit about how that could work. Well, for a start, uh, really it comes down to the renewability of hemp. I mean, it takes 10 to 20 years to grow trees that we've been building with forever. Um, and it takes 120 days to grow a crop of hemp that we can use the, the waste cellulose from the inside of the plant mixed with some you know, high calcium lime, which is prevalent in every country on the planet, to um, fire-resistant, termite-proof, mold-proof, water-resistant um, homes with. I mean, you know, the fact that you can build an average-sized home with, with two and a half acres of hemp is just incredible, and you know, in, in 120 days. The, the, the bottleneck really comes with decorticational processing of the hemp. That's the, that's the million-dollar question and answer that a lot of farmers and a lot of individuals and companies are asking themselves because it's not an easy process, it's not a cheap process, and that's why you know, they've been doing it in China for centuries and they've been doing it in Europe you know, non-stop, and that's where we get most of our hemp from until such time as we've got um, an infrastructure in the United States or in North America in general, we will be able to get domestic hemp, and that's still a little ways off. But, you know, the benefits of hemp, I mean, as a company, we, we studied, along with Bath University some years ago, um, the effects of other cellulosic waste materials like linseed oil stalks, corn stalks, flax, even, uh, even general timber. And nothing was hydroscopic like hemp. And which makes it vapor permeable, which means we have to compress it because it's full of air, and it makes super insulating and sound absorbing um, walls of a uh, of a house. So we do, you know, and, and it, ma it maintains the same static temperature control. It takes out the undulations that we get you know, with our normal construction, and in, in layman's terms, that means you know when you come home from work at five or six o'clock. 
your house is normally hot in the summertime from the three o'clock sun beaming through the windows and you've got to turn, crank up the air conditioning. With a hemp house, you don't have to do that. Our average energy bills are $30 to $40 a month to run an average size home, heating and cooling right throughout the year. So it makes a huge difference lifestyle-wise. Children today, I mean, I'm giving you a few bullet points here in synopsis form, Snowden, I hope you don't mind. But, oh, no, that's I mean, fine. I, I've got to get a lot in within 45 minutes. I've got, you know, I could talk for a whole day on this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But... I mean, our children, you know, are spending a lot more time indoors these days. And with hemp and lime mixed together to make an alkaline indoor air quality of 8.3, we're seeing anecdotally a reduction of up to 70% in medical costs, doctor's visits and days off work because we're breathing in an alkaline indoor air quality. So that's another hidden benefit of building with hemp and lime. If I can be so bold as to carry on without you asking me the question, I mean, the, the hemp is the vegetation or the cellulose. That's the material that we're using for super insulating walls of a house. The lime is there to protect the vegetation. So the lime gives us the fire resistance and the, uh, the termite proofing, as well as the mold inhibiting against the hemp. So the two work very harmoniously and synergistically together to make an awesome very competitively priced building material that when we turn the key to move into our new hemp house, it's cost us the same to build as if we built regular construction. And it's going to last three or four hundred years. And it's the durability, in addition to lasting for that long, I mean, it could withstand hurricanes just as well or even better than a blockhouse could. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, we do. I mean, I've had the fortunate pleasure to witness this firsthand. In the first house that was ever built in the United States, we permitted back in North Carolina. And it was up on the side of a mountain in a 300-mile-an-hour wind zone. And on one particular day, I was up there, you know, walking around inside doing some work, carrying a ladder. And the, the roof had been sheeted. We had a gust of wind come up and it tore the top of the, half of the roof off. And now this roof was pulled out of the hurricane straps and the hempcrete was kept, it was left intact. I mean, that, it was like watching a plywood roof do a Mexican wave dance. And the hempcrete didn't, wasn't touched at all. I had another fortunate experience. I mean, when I look at the time, I'm not thinking it's really fortunate because I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen to this hemp? <laughs> but it turned out really well in the end. Down in New Zealand, I built uh, the first of a few tiny hemp houses. And this house was uh, eight feet wide, 12 feet long, about the width of what you can carry on the back of a truck. I'd moved it from one of my houses down to another building site. And the high ab was, had the arm extended off the back of the truck to, and uh, with this little hemp hut on it that weighed three tons and three metric tons, which is like 6,500 pounds. And the high ab broke. It basically failed. The hydraulics failed and it dropped it from a meter high off the ground, thud down onto the ground. And to my surprise and amazement, everybody else standing around, not one crack in this building. Wow. Um, the doors and the windows closed and opened perfectly and not one crack in this building. I was, I was just amazed. Um, about two months later, we picked this thing up and I sold it to somebody out on a farm about half an hour out of town. And we put it on the back of the same truck, strapped it down and off we went you know, over the gravelly road, mountainous twisting and turning roads, put it down onto the site uh, onto some interlocking block pavers, and again, not one crack. I was amazed, Snowden. I mean, this thing had gone through 
effectively the same as a, it's the same as an earthquake. <laughs> right, which you which know, I, I that was on my mind a second ago because I was thinking, you know, what a wonderful flexibility to have for earthquake ratings as well. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, we did many years ago back in North Carolina. We did some testing with the Army Corps of Engineers. We got a bunch of snipers out there blasting away at a, at a two foot by two foot by two foot block ahead. And this thing absorbed all the rounds. There was no spall, and that's something that the army is, is very well aware of. With concrete structures, you get the shrapnel is what hurts people, and with the hemp, it's so soft and uh, flexible, it just absorbed all these rounds. It didn't and didn't make a mess anywhere. So I mean, there's a lots of benefits for using hemp, and the biggest, of course, is that it's renewable. You know, in some countries like in, in Australia, we're growing three crops a year in Western Australia. You know, in down in Florida, they could do a couple of crops a year. Up in the north, one crop a year is okay. But, I mean, in, in 100 to 120 days, you've got enough material for your animal bedding. You've got enough um, enough material for your medical purposes. You've got enough material to make clothes. You've got enough material to build a house. Food, fuel, shelter, and jobs. That's what this plant is all about. Well, not to mention remediation. And the remediation. But, you know, I, I must, if I, I mean, I'm going to go against the, the common theory here. Uh, because I actually worked with uh, Canterbury University and Massey University in New Zealand some years back because I thought, like you, remediation was the name of the game, that hemp would uptake heavy metals out of the soil, just like they're talking about out in Chernobyl. Um, but what we found was that it, the hemp didn't take up the heavy metals. What it did was aerate the soil and put nitrogen back into the soil. So it increased the nitrogen content of the soil, but it didn't actually remediate the heavy metals that was toxicity in the soil. That's what we actually found in the thesis by actual licensing and testing with toxic soils. Right. You know what? That's a very interesting point and something that I had mislearned, I should say, because um, I was reading that some people were having success pulling heavy metals and toxins out of the soil. But if you've actually done the testing and that's not the case, then, you know, obviously it's more important to get the truth out. So that's yeah. a really good thing to know. And was that study published anywhere? We own that study jointly with Massey University in, in New Zealand. We were able to get a, a small grant from the government to do this study because in the Taranaki region, which is central North Island of New Zealand, they export all the drilling waste. So all the fracking drilling that's happening in, in New Zealand all that drilling waste is going to landfill around the coastal sand dune areas of New Zealand in Taranaki, in the Taranaki Basin. And it's very, very toxic soil because all the bentonites leach out and come to the surface. And we get what's called grass staggers, which is the, the, the cows are eating the grass in, in this um, repurposed land and then they're falling over because there's not enough magnesium in, this, in, the, uh, in the grass. And as a result, you know, we, we got a, a grant to do a study of this toxic soil. So we took soil samplings from many different areas of these uh, um, soil sites. And down to the university, we had to get a license from the Ministry of Health to get the seeds to grow the plants and then test on a daily basis any difference in the toxicity of the soils. And all the different toxicity levels remained the same. The only thing that changed was the increase of nitrogen into the soil and the aeration, i.e. the microbiology started to increase in the soil, but the toxicity did not reduce, i.e. the heavy metal 
percentages remained the same. Uh, and I wonder about some of the, not heavy metal, but cesium, cesium from the nuclear waste. Does it absorb that? Yeah, any, basically, to be, to be perfectly frank, any green plant that goes through phytosynthesis will do this. Lucerne uh, or alfalfa is a very good companion crop for hemp because the hemp roots will go down a foot, foot and a half, whereas lucerne goes down three, three to four feet. So it makes it a good companion crop. But any green leafy plant will perform phytosynthesis and therefore will remediate in that regard. Yeah. But it's the nitrogen that's going into the soil that's displacing the toxicity. So it's, I mean, it's great. It's a great story. Um, Snowden to talk about hemp being, you know, being a savior in that regard. But I mean, you know, millions of years ago, we had higher CO2 levels than we do now. And we had giant trees living on the land. It's the, it's the carbon dioxide that, that's, that's making things grow. And it's the, we need those, the greens, the trees, the leaves to, to perform that photosynthesis and turn that CO2 into oxygen for us humans. So, it's a, you know, that's where we live harmoniously with plants. And, of course, we're going through this mass deforestation and heating up the earth. You know, you go over to Cancun, for example, and that area has increased in temperature some 30 degrees over the last 10, 15 years because they're clear-cutting and then they're building concrete structures there that are simply heat sinks and absorbing all the sun. So, you know, we need, we need to be getting back to renewable, sustainable building methods and hemp is where it's at, believe me. I mean, we, I looked for many years to try and find any negativity surrounding hemp um, and I couldn't find it except for the name. Um, and now, of course, I'm a baby boomer, and the baby boomers are saying, well, I guess if it's legal to smoke it, we can, it's legal to build with it. So here we go. Let's start building. <laughs> yeah. And it's a matter of educating people. And, Diana, that's kind of where you come in, because you were one of the early educators, if you will, with hempsters plant the seed and there was an entire group of you i want to say you because there were a lot of advocates early on before people realized that hemp wasn't something that was going to make people high and that was a misconception that lasted for generations you know i mean reefer madness was the most brilliant marketing campaign of all time i think propaganda marketing because it affected the way people thought about hemp and marijuana for decades, but Hempsters Plant the Seed was sort of one of the very first to help dispel that myth. And, and I know that you've got so many different projects related to the Hempsters brand going on right now, but tell me a little bit about what you and Greg have done together recently. Well, so Hempsters Plant the Seed started shooting. Woody Harrelson brought everyone into Kentucky and all these different film crews from Hollywood, New York, Europe were all there. Everyone was vying for the story. And we spent seven days with him, two different houses over the seven days. And he made the decision and chose us. And we got the story. And off we went. Little did we know that his feral seed playing and subsequent arrest, trial, and acquittal would span seven years. And during that time, as Galbraith came on board, we introduced us to Willie. Willie uh, brought us Merle Haggard, Joey Butterfly Hill, and then, of course, Woody and Merle and Willie all lived in Al. And uh, it was just a series for the director, Michael Henning, and I in such a way. And I look back on it, it's 14 years I followed the movie because then we had Joe Hickey, 
I like flight plumes, you know, American horse, and we followed the native story. And I realized that 14 years, everywhere we went, hemp was referred to as marijuana. I, I We just would very calmly educate people. But I, I just really feel like I'm a messenger for the plant. I, um, I'm not doing this for any Academy Award, although that would be nice. <laughs> but um, I'm doing it because I felt like God just really led me here. And, and I heard about Greg. It was 14 years. So it was the 13th year. And I started thinking, okay, well, I already about my next film my, to follow Hempster's Plant the Seed. It's Plant the Seed. So then I wanted to do, I wrote American Revolution and I wanted to focus on product. And I was like, what's the most next incredible thing that him can do and make and what is the next product? And I said, there's this guy from New Zealand. He's uh, building houses made of hemp. And I started researching him. And immediately I was like obsessed with Greg Flavall. I was like, I've got to meet him. I've got to interview him. At one point I was thinking of include him in Hempster's Plant to See, but it was the segue was that he needed his own show. And I just immediately thought Hemp House Build, and I'm going to take him to television. I, I saw a snippet of footage. He's got incredible charisma, and like I told you, the most incredible, infectious laugh of like all time. And uh, everywhere we go, he's everyone's just following along behind Greg as he's building his hemp houses. And uh, I see the footage. I'm like, I've got to meet him, and I contacted him, and he so wonderfully invited me to Asheville, North Carolina. And I went up for three days, and I contacted Irvin Dargon, which Greg said that was our camera guy who shot all the build from the ground up of these amazing house like Powell on town mountain is just stunning like you're just in the forest and then it pressed up on this curve at the top and this beautiful two-story hemp house with the balcony that just overlooks the sea of the tops of the trees and the the lovely uh homeowners they use the recycled clay the dirt floors i mean and when you walk in that house Snowden, it's very life-altering. This house made of hemp, you can smell the purity, the clear, the cleanness. When you, when I'm in any synthetic house, I can instantly smell the chemicals in the carpet and the carpeting and the flooring and the walls. I mean, when you're in those hemp houses, the you just literally, your body reacts to it in such an incredible way. The other thing, too, is that so many building materials, uh, not only do they have the VOCs, and you can tell when you're in a house that doesn't, but also they don't breathe that well, so that if they have to be locked up with double insulation for an entire summer, for example, like in Arizona, where I happen to be, and it's 120 degrees outside, and if the walls aren't breathing then it just gets incredibly stuffy inside with recirculated air. Oh, yeah. Well, see, what most people don't realize when a house catches on fire, rarely do people actually burn to death from the fire. They're rendered useless by the toxic smoke of all the chemicals from the carpeting, the stuffing, the insulation, fabrics, where most people are able to escape a house. But these the hemp houses are, like Greg was saying, mold, fire, pest, resistant, everything. But back to Greg. So he invited me up and I filmed the pilot with Dave Madera, his partner. And Dave, we were we were coming up the mountain. This is a funny story. And Dave looks over at me and goes, you sure do talk a lot. 
Greg, they like to remind me. I said, well, you know what? Because I've got a lot to say. We showed the Hemp House Build pilot, which is available on YouTube. But Greg and Dave were just the dynamic duo of hemp. Like, I can't even tell you. Energy of the show and now the new show. Greg is the main host because of we sadly lost Dave to a debilitating cancer back in 2012. So sorry to hear that, yeah. So I shot my first television series pilot because I produce documentaries and films. I have two feature films and a lot of indie films. My first television series ever was with Greg. And we were actually in talks with Discovery Channel when, sadly, this debilitating brain cancer resurfaced with Dave and it took him in a matter of months. It was so sad. And of course, we shelved the show and turned it into a tribute to Dave. And then Greg went back to New Zealand, right? Yeah. Yeah, And that was another thing. Greg and Dave, besides being so far ahead of their time, they built three, three hemp houses in Asheville, all very diverse, very different architecture which shows you in the pilot the diversity one of them is a multi-million dollar literally a mansion that overlooks lake june alaska and it's just a show place and then the martin corp house is also a show place but a real natural blending in with the forest style and then the third house push house that house the now house was uh the guys that lived there they they planted a of vegetables on the roof so it literally as you come down the mountain to see that one it looks almost like yeah. that one's very much yeah. into the earth just incredible these houses they're just incredible so anyway we shelved the show and off we went and i produced other things and then of course hemp did not become legal in the united states we thought hempsters plant the seed and that was 14 years and we thought you know that first farm bill but but it's just been the most it's 19 years I'm in this game now, this fight for hemp, and it's just now becoming legal. And like Greg made the very crucial point, it's the corticators and the harvesting and the processing. That's where the money needs to go now in this industry. And there has been one group that which will re- remain nameless on this show, but they're crooks, basically. So this business, you know, it attracts the good, the bad, and the ugly, any any type of new movement. But there is a group that supposedly has a processing center up in the Carolinas. But I just heard that there's another group. There's one coming up out of Colorado. I meant to talk to you about that, Greg. Did you hear that? They're going to have a... Yeah, I know, hemp- I, know, I know who's doing what. Don't you worry. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's the one thing that I think is going to take a little bit longer is just building that infrastructure so that already the technology is there. We know it can be done. And Greg, you've been doing it. So, but getting the people to process it here in the United States so that it becomes more and more accessible, that would be the challenge, I would think. Exactly. And then now it's just the perfect timing because Greg not only is the master hempcrete builder, but he's a teacher. And I mean, he's got a legion of followers and uh, young builders and architects, and he's doing house build TV for him. That's the name of the new series, but he's doing tiny hemp houses. We filmed one for episode two that is just in beautiful with this award-winning architect design and the tiny hemp house is just incredible inside. That's Matt Prindles. And then we filmed the first round house in the United States with this cathedral ceiling in episode three. And that's up in Nevada City. 
then we, we launched the new pilot. Greg's like, okay, Donna, I've been really busy since you delivered that movie. And he goes, now we're ready to go. I've got 30 builds, various stages, either finished uh, on plans on the table or pie in the sky. But there's 30 actual ones. Because over the years, he's been globally building these hemp houses. Yeah. And I'm like, he goes, all right, we're ready to go. And off we went. And boom, I was on, I was on nine planes in 11 cities. I've never shot four episodes so fast yeah. in my life. Yeah, so I know that's a lot. So Greg, what are some of the things to get the word out about this in terms of uh, your educational outreach to other builders? Well, um, when we do a build, like every, like most of the time when we do a build, we offer the opportunity to run a workshop on site. So for example, at the end of this month, we're going up to Vancouver, back where there's a master builder building a new house after their main house burned down last year so we're sending over the canadian hemp but we're sending up the lime from the u.s and we're going up there at, to run a workshop for a couple of days and people pay to come along and learn how to how to do hemp from framing to electrical to plumbing to to installing and mixing and installing the hemp and then basically we're then comfortable to sell them materials to build their own place Right. So that's how we're training other people. We limit it to six people per workshop, and depending on the, the demand or the interest, we might run two back-to-back -back workshops on that same work site. But that's a way where we can train and show people how to get their hands into these materials and give them the confidence to be able to go off and do it for themselves. A few little tricks of the trade always learning. Even every job, we learn something new ourselves. But... And after 20-odd houses, I'm still picking up you know, little nuances and tricks of, of doing things. But it's a great way to educate and help other people learn the benefits of this wonderful material. I mean, there's nothing, no other material on the planet that gives you both thermal mass and thermal conductivity built into one material. Not only that, it'll last forever. And if, you, if your great-grandchildren don't like the look of that house you built for them, they can tear it down, use it as fertilizer, or remix it with some new stuff and build it, make a new design. Oh, wow. I mean, Isn't so that incredible? incredible? That incredible. is absolutely incredible. So basically, you can recycle it. It's Yeah. I mean, I've learned, you know, over the over many years of building, I've learned to reduce, reuse, and recycle, and in some cases, even add composting to that. But from the, in the building game, I mean, more than 50% of the landfill comes from construction waste. Well, I've, uh, in an effort to, to stem that and change that, because a lot of countries are starting to try and do away with landfill, and, I mean, in California, for example, where we're now based, they're looking to be carbon neutral by 2020, which is two years from now. And we can do it with our non-VOC, natural mineral breathing paints and all these, you know, beautiful health-based building materials that we have at our disposal, including, and not forgetting, of course, the hemp. And, of course, coming from a country of 60 million sheep, I use wool a lot, too. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. That's 100% natural. So it's not, you know, we use hemp in addition to all these other natural building materials that we have. And we teach people how to use them. We teach people how to install them. And we have a crew of people that will go around that we can jump around and, and, and bust out a house anywhere, pretty much anywhere. I would love to participate in workshops and, and really see what it is that you do. I think I had mentioned to you at one point, Greg, that I was planning to add on to my home and I would yes. like to do it in hemp to set an example, yep. but also to learn from it and to 
possibly bring other people in to learn how to do it here in this area because I think that uh, hemp as a building material would be so beneficial for us here for its insular qualities and the breathability and just yeah, the that would be awesome. in general. And mm-hmm. I really would love to see this building material become huge throughout the United States. I think it'll solve so many problems in the disaster zones because, I mean, here we have an opportunity to, you know, rebuild some exactly. of these places that'll be more resistant to the damage from, you know, hurricanes and floods, particularly, and perhaps in fires as well. Tell me, Greg, when you're building something that's close to an adjacent property, you have to be aware of fire (coughs) resistance in walls. And fire resistance, but there's also in relation to setbacks, and the setbacks are there so the fire department can get, you know, can run around there with a hose. But we do, just to point out, we do get a 60% discount on fire insurance for building with hemp because it's non it's considered non-combustible. Right. And, so the yeah. fire rating I think is the word that I was looking for. Doesn't mm-hmm. hemp lime wall rate much higher, much more fire retardant or resistant? Yeah, we do we do we do have an anecdotal fire rating, but we've never actually spent the $200,000 necessary for the testing. Mm. Um, right. to get he that, wants to, get to that. do that actually. It's something we intend to do. I think one of the episodes I want to do, and I've suggested it to producer Diana, is that I'd like to build one of our small 8x12 cabins of hemp and lime and then put it out in the field somewhere and get the fire department to come and blowtorch it. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) Well, Greg is also, for the viewers to be aware, um, currently in the funding, there's a couple of companies looking at his distribution hub to finance it in San Diego, where he's now based, he and his beautiful wife, Sharon, who is an incredible five-star culinary chef who happens to have been Miss Sri Lanka and is cooking um, with hemp on, we've shot another series for her called A Cooking with Hemp by Sharon. That's the working title, but she's doing all the hemp cooking while we're on these hemp build sites in, our episode, in the new series. So anyway, right now, Greg is in talks to uh, set up his long-awaited distribution hub. So for any viewers that hear this, they can contact him at ihempusa at gmail.com. Yeah, I will. I'll get the that information and put it up for our listeners so that when they that go to the awesome. website, they'll be able to find these resources. Because I think that a lot of people would be really interested to learn more about this, just in general. Right, and they can, they can do like you're doing, an add-on. He's, uh, Greg's also created the granny flat. So the, I don't know, what's the terminology, Greg? The separate house or the adjacent house? Like, Casita. You know, the granny flat. <laughs> they're called, yeah. they're actually, they're called accessory dwelling units. And awesome. California, for example, has enacted new legislation to, to address the housing crisis in California by allowing you to build either an addition or second story on your garage or retrofit your garage or put a, or put a detached unit from 500 to six, from 500 to 1,200 square feet on your existing property without having to subtitle or tie into new water and uh, sewer lines. Um, That's brilliant. Making a lot quicker, and they're also, they're also amending the impact fees that you generally pay with the new construction. And this is to address, you know, to make, a, you know, to, to help with affordable housing in, in California. 
and with you know 1.9 million homeless people in this in this state, it makes sense to be able to do that. So that's part of our business model this year is to address the green granny flats or the casitas or you know man caves, woman caves, whatever you know whatever name you want to put on them, but. You know, the opportunity exists whereby you're saving, you know, between thirty and fifty thousand dollars in additional costs to the city to be able to improve your own, your own residence and um, and and generate additional income, you know, by renting out that space without the additional burdens of the, the additional burden of the um, impact fees or the uh, sewer fees. So that's a, that's going to be huge for California and, in fact, the rest of the country. And, in fact, in my in my mind's eye, it's a global initiative that will only uh, that will only grow as time goes on. But certainly, California, we're living in San Diego now, so this is the place to start where we've got so many uh, homeless people. And and I mean, young people today can't afford to buy a home for goodness' sake. Right. Costs have gone up so dramatically. And of course, you know, two thirds of, of real estate is owned or controlled by the baby boomers in the United States and in fact around the world now. And the young people can't, so that's artificially keeping the prices high because they know that as they get older, they, one, they want to stay in their house longer. And two, if they sell it, they've got to replace it with something just as expensive. So that's why there is less and less real estate on the market today for sale and fewer sales going through for younger people. So, you know, it's a, it's a catch-22 situation. So thankfully, you know, California, which is the sixth largest economy in, in the world, has seen the vision to address the homeless and the, and the housing crisis and, um, make, and put these initiatives into play whereby people can afford to, to rent um, in a more comfortable way. Right. That's a, such a brilliant idea. It really is. And for people who don't know, you said that the price is pretty competitive to build with hemp versus, you know, building in traditional ways, yeah. with block or just uh, wood frame and synthetic insulation if and that sort take, of thing. If you take regular dry line construction, which is a regular two by four stud framed house with, um, with your pink bed insulation and your tiled roof and your four market cabinets and so forth, that's a price of a, let's say, call it $150 a square foot in a modest build. Now, by the time we finish building with the hemp and wool and, natu- and other natural materials, by the time you turnkey to move in and, and place your furniture and, and uh, crack a beer and, and enjoy yourself, it's going to cost you the same, $150 a square foot. So the cost is relative. I mean, if, once you go to granite countertops and stuff like that, yes, you know, you're paying a little bit more. But essentially, to answer your question in a nutshell, it costs you the same to build with regular construction as it does with hemp, except that you're going to get power savings, like the energy savings each month, and you're going to get lifestyle changes and benefits right. as you go. And the, the health benefits particularly? Health benefits are huge. I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And we've seen it firsthand. We've seen the benefits of living in an alkaline indoor air quality. Yeah. So I guess the biggest challenge then, I mean, the the cost isn't going to be isn't going to be a deterrent. The health benefits are going to be a plus. But one other barrier would be just the accessibility of people knowledgeable enough to to guide the building process. Yes. And in fact, that's 
we find education being at the forefront of that, Snowden, because, you know, the very first house that was ever permitted in the United States, we spent a full day with building and safety people in Asheville, North Carolina, fire department, marshals, um, the police department. We invited them all down to our warehouse on Swannanoa River Road in Asheville, and we did a one-day workshop. We brought over a couple of experts from England, um, and we, we basically went through a full day of, of education of the people that you know made decisions in, in that town. And at the end of the day, the fire marshals were saying, man, we've got to build a house with this stuff, right? Then when we took our block, our Creek sample block down to building and safety to get the permit on, on the house, they said, yes, we're good to go. It all came down to education. Mm-hmm. In New Zealand, I had a, I had a huge fight on the hands because it was a, it's considered a solid wall system. And uh, in New Zealand, we have lots of rain and, and lots of water issues. And, and, you know, it took me six months to get a permit, you know, with, with building and safety down in, in the town of New Plymouth where I was born. And eventually they acquiesced because I showed them and educated them with empirical evidence from from the UK and France where they've been building with it for 30 plus years that it makes sense and then finally we got the, we got the code of compliance after we completed the house and I actually showed them by blasting a, a, the garden hose against the outside of the, the lime plastered hempcrete wall the water was just beating off the outside of the wall and they were like whoa we didn't know this didn't know this material did this and then next thing you know it's it's uh uh, we've got a permit and we've got a code of compliance. <laughs> so it's, it's all about education, seeing mm-hmm. is believing. Well, and, and I think that for people who are interested in building a hemp home in a location that hasn't embraced it yet as a normal alternative, they would be well served to look into some of the videos that you have. And also, do you have people on your team who are willing to speak to people and coach them about how to talk to their permitting divisions and that sort of thing? Yep, that's us. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, we have we have a nice little program where people can join our hemp collective or our hemp club for $420. That gets them access to me personally to help them with those technical building issues and helping them uh, go in the right direction with the building and safety. Um, and that, uh, you know, that's a pretty fair um, cost considering what they'll pay the architect and the engineer and so forth. And I'm that, I become that conduit, if you like, to, to shepherd and help the process through to completion. Um, and then, you know, we'll do a workshop and one of my guys will go out there and, and run the workshop. And we help, we, by becoming a member, we, we give them a discount on the materials that they purchase, um, being the hemp, the lime, um, the, the paints, the magnesium oxide, the wool, you, you name it, everything to make their house or you know, make their space a healthy place is there with our hemp technologies team. Wow. We've got it going on, Snowden. You certainly do. And y- you bet that I will be in touch about this myself. I'm not sure if anyone here in our area has actually done one. You'd know better than I would, Greg, whether someone's built a hemp house in Arizona at all. Do you in know? Arizona, the answer is no, but not far away in Texas. Uh, down in Martha, a couple of years ago, we did a did a house down there, a nice big house, and that was again that was an education process, and we ran a workshop, very successful workshop out there, 
and I don't think you're far from Marfa, Texas is where it's at, actually. I mean, right. if you look on our website, anybody can look on our website, and you can see... I'm actually building my own hemp house, Snowden. We had the plans drawn up since 2011 to have and we, Greg. 2011 right. <laughs> for my parents, but it's always been a question of money. But also for educational purposes, not only is the new series entertaining, I'm just going to interject this, it's highly educational. The fastest growing market on television is anything to do with home building, rehabbing. Oh, people love uh, it. Adding on. Right. And the demographics, very interesting enough, the highest viewership demographic is the female. You know, home is where the heart is. And these things, when I walk in these houses and I'm filming Greg, it's, it's just a real blessing for me to even be his partner on this and his producer because... I'm so enamored with the process, and I'm so thrilled, and I watched these people up in Excelsior Springs, this episode we just filmed, and they have a, a young son that's tragically suffering from seizures, and he's now on CBD, and, but they're just the most incredible people. He's a pastor and his wife, and during the process of building, and I got to stay three days, but then it, a lot of Greg's team and some of his, his workshop guys, they, they stayed and finished the house. And then Greg went back up there to actually finish, finish. And I saw the final photo of the team that I filmed after I was gone and their beaming faces, like everyone's so incredibly proud that they've just built a house made of hemp or yeah. restructured a wall with hemp. And it's just this, the process. And it's just so therapeutic and I don't know. It's it's kind of a primitive thing, but yeah, it's pretty incredible. I'm very blessed. Mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for you to uh, to give us our debut radio interview because I have big plans for Greg. He's being submitted to. Um, I'm creating a TED Talks around him, so that'll be super educational. And we're, I'm looking at the cities Monday, but I'm thinking San Diego since that's where his main hub is and where he wants to have his distribution uh, warehouse center there, and so. Um, yeah, I'm well, I tell on you what, this is this is an incredible delight for me, and because just to be able to learn from the both of you about this, it's an exciting time, I think. And my hope is that that this, and then your television series, and Greg, all of your workshops, I hope this inspires some of the universities that deal with either sustainability like here at ASU or that deals with building or that deals with um, product manufacturing and and agriculture and that sort of thing. I really hope that the universities start to get on board with educating people in a formal way about hemp. A thousand percent. I agree. A thousand percent. Yeah. So, and in I fact, mean, once Greg is known publicly, and sorry to interrupt you, I'm the terrible at that. You know me. Mm -hmm. um, once Greg is known publicly from this launch from the series this time around, there's going to be no stopping Greg and Hemp Technologies and what he's going to do. I, I foresee it to be an enormous shift because everyone needs it. They just don't know about him yet. Right. And it, well, the series will, will help agree. launch that. I agree. And people need hemp and they don't know it yet. I mean, we need oh, yes, hemp right. in our economy. Yep. We, need it in, we need it for environmental reasons. 
you know, we need to we need to start slowing the carbon emissions and and hemp is the planet the, is crying out for it, yeah. for this for hemp. Absolutely. It totally is. Absolutely. So I, th- I see it as a, a big benefit all around for people. But, you know, this is especially exciting to be introducing the technology to people who are looking to build in a way where their houses won't completely disintegrate in a hurricane or, or be completely rendered useless and have to be torn down entirely after a big flood like in Houston. Oh, one more quick question for you, Greg. LEED, the building certification, have they considered hemp as one of the criteria that helps a home become a LEED certified home? We did. Yeah, absolutely. Back in 2010, when we were doing Now House, we actually, I actually co-wrote the paper for LEED certification. We were going for platinum LEED certification on that Now House. And it was a very, very expensive exercise. I wouldn't do it again on a residential project, but certainly commercial, it's worth uh, evaluating. And, you know, we did, we got innovation credits for using hemp, which are still there, uh, but we didn't get the transportation credits because the material we had to import across the Atlantic. Uh-huh. And you, with Leeds, you can't have material more than 500 miles, you know, away from where you're using it. So, oh, I never knew yeah, that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, you know what? That's that's an interesting thing to keep in mind, and I think that that might change in the near future too, as more and more states uh, begin allowing hemp production. And of course, and if we get more people learning how to process hemp, <laughs> then we'll we'll really be in business uh, with that. Yeah, that really is the chicken and egg uh, situation, though, Snowden, because to do decorticational processing of hemp effectively and commercially viably, you need to be looking at at least four tons per hour. And everybody's running around, you know, buying these small portable machines that they think they're going to do their backyard processing. And to be perfectly blunt and frank and candid about it, they're wasting their time because they'll never be able to process enough hemp to make it commercially viable. And this was another one of the exercises that we went through with Massey University in New Zealand because... You know, we've got thousands and thousands of, of fallow land in, in New Zealand and riparian areas that could be put over to hemp. Uh, then it came down to the infrastructure for processing the hemp. And, you know, to do it properly, you're looking at $5 million as an infrastructural cost. Um, and if, you, if, you, if you're going to do it with any less than that, you, quite honestly, you're going to be swimming upstream. Um, exactly. You know, for quite... And that's and that's what people need to realise, and that's I think why big business has not um, jumped on board yet. You've also got the farming seven six zero six bill that will not come out of um, uh, hiatus or incubation for another year yet. So because that was signed in by Obama in two thousand and fourteen for for five years, so that's two thousand and nineteen that that gets um, evaluated, and then obviously it's a foregone conclusion that. You know that everybody's going to be, you know, helping for, for leather on, on on growing and processing hemp. Um, but until that until that happens, no one, including big business, will be prepared to put money on the table to that extent and put in the proper infrastructure to process hemp. And even then, um, we need to regionalise it because you know that, that five million dollar plant will service about five to seven thousand acres of hemp. Now, that might, might seem like a lot of houses, but it's a very, very sm- small amount of feedstock for, for hemp board, for, um, for paper processing, 
um, for uh, technical fibres for automobiles, anything like that, we're going to require millions of acres eventually. Now, um, and just as, a, as a, an interesting calculation, if we put over just 1% of all agricultural land in America to growing industrial hemp or agricultural hemp, as I prefer to call it now, understanding what Rick's on about, we could build every new home in America every year with just 1% of the land that's being used to, you know, to grow vegetables or any other type of agriculture. If we put it over to hemp, we could, we, could, we could grow enough material to build and insulate every brand new home in America. Right. Wow. That's that is incredible. pretty phenomenal. That is, that's great. You know what? Um, I have a question. Greg, in Europe, didn't I read somewhere that some of the castles are built with hemp in Scotland and Ireland and England? Lime, certainly. Uh, there are some really old you know, Roman viaducts for example, throughout Eastern Europe that have hemp in them, hemp and lime. The Great Pyramids have got hemp and lime in them. The Great Wall of China's got hemp and lime in it. The hemp's been thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, there's no stopping it. We just have to get on get on page with it. I mean, you know, as, a, as human beings, we've been destroying this planet and we need to start, you know, leaving something behind for our children's children. Exactly. And, and if you watch the videos yeah. of these tragedies, like a these prefab houses and these Cracker Jack houses they're building, they just disintegrate mm-hmm. in a matter of seconds. It's almost planned obsolescence, <laughs> along with so many other things that have contributed to the, the polluted environment. But, well, this is all just so exciting to me. And, Greg, aside from the series, what's next for you? Uh, lots more building. I mean, I'm, we're anticipating something in the vicinity of 50 to 55,000 square feet of built space this year around the country. When we go up to Vancouver at the end of this month for that job up there, we're actually going across to Vancouver Island to look at a, a holistic healing center, and they want to do a three-story clinic over there with hemp, with our hemp. We're looking at um, certifications this year. We're looking at um, doing some sp- building some spray equipment. It's being built in Europe right now. We're getting, um, you know, we've, we've, we've got some very interested partners um, that are coming on board with us. So we, we anticipate even, um, you know, potentially building the company to this, over the next 12 months to potentially even go public um, because it's, everybody else is con- it's concentrating on the top, thir- top third of the plant for medical reasons, you know, for CBD and so forth. And I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're using the bottom two-thirds of the plant for building and bedding. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, we've got a trial coming up potentially with the San Diego Zoo this year. Um, the Delmar Race Course, we're introducing our hemp, the same hemp we use for building, we're using for animal bedding. We've done this successfully with cat, um, cat breeders in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, we're launching our, our, our e-commerce portal for our health-based building where you know, our tagline is make your space a healthy place. And uh, our forever breed wall system, which has hemp and wool in it. Uh, we've, we've got a couple of commercial projects that we're, that we're in talks with. I mean, this is a very, very exciting year, Snowden. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and so it's so iron, ironic, I should say, that it's coming on the heels of uh, marijuana. Yeah. It's, it's us baby boomer age group that are saying finally, well, I guess if it's legal to smoke it, it must be legal to build with it. 
<laughs> well, I actually said that for many, many years during the 14 years of Hempster's Plant the Seed and then documenting 19, 19 years in media. I said 10 years ago, when marijuana becomes legal, it's going to open all the doors for hemp because people are going to do exactly what you said. They're going to say, okay, well, now that's legal. It must be. There's just been this terrible, this even worse stigma against hemp than there ever was about marijuana because even a lot of the people that were against it being legal were all secretly getting high. Okay, really? We know what you were doing in the closet. Or when you came around the corner, everybody smelled all green and everybody's laughing at Thanksgiving dinner. We know what you were doing. So, But this, this whole hemp thing had this, the hemp issue, ag hemp had this terrible stigma. One of Greg's colleagues, Rick Edwards, is just an incredible man, super nice and super educational and helpful, and he was in his workshop. I got to meet him in Missouri, but he actually educated me. I'm, I learned so much from Greg constantly, but he taught me. I've been saying industrial hemp all these years, and he said, you know, let's try to recoin the phrase and go back to agricultural hemp instead of industrial, even though it has so many industrial, you know, purposes. But it was just an interesting anecdote because it's such a necessary, amazing plant all the way around. So I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, well, I'm so I'm so happy to have had this time to talk to you. Unfortunately, I'm getting a, a signal that it's time for us to start wrapping it up. My goodness, this goes by so yep. quickly. And like you said earlier, Greg, we could talk about this for hours, and I'd love to do this again sometime very, very soon. But um, thank you both so much again for joining me. Thank you. Hey, you're very thank, and thank you for giving us the time to, uh, to, you know, to talk about it. It's great. Oh, my pleasure, certainly. So, once again, another show coming to a close. I'd personally like to say thank you to my guests, Greg Flaval and Diana Oliver, for sharing their insights and knowledge with us today. And if you'd like to learn more about hemp building or the films or other work that they're doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com and click podcasts to find today's episode. I will be sure to post their bios and information and links to the websites and, and online media so that you can become aware of hemp building. And it's an exciting future for the home industry, I think. So we have a lot of other people to thank as well. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Healthcare and Compassionate Certification Centers. We certainly couldn't be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update, Eric Goodall, the composer of our theme song, Evergreen, and also our program directors at Society Bites and XRQK Radio Networks for sharing our show. And of course, it goes without saying how much we appreciate our producer, Ed, and engineer, John, and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine every week. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join me again next week, same time, same place, for a compelling interview with the former president of Mexico, Vicente Fox, right here on the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, be safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Every green's color.